This morning we've arrived at that portion of the service where we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. We're going to hear from Scripture. And as I mentioned last week, during the season of Ordinary, we found ourselves going through Luke's Gospel, looking at various stories, various parables, um, various interactions that Jesus has with people who are striving and seeking to follow him. And this morning, we continue along with that pattern. We find ourselves in the 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel. I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 33. And here, Jesus is talking to the large crowds, to the multitudes who have started to follow him and who are seeking to... to maybe take that next step of faith, as we might call it this morning. So Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, again, I'll be reading verses 25 through 33. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning again. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for this opportunity to sing your praises, to worship you, and to just spend time getting our spiritual batteries recharged and renewed. But Lord, we also thank you that as we come this morning, we have the opportunity to hear you speak afresh and anew to us. And we realize that as we come, there are parts of our lives that need to be changed. There are attitudes that need to be adjusted. There are parts of our hearts and minds that need to be corrected so that they're more in tune with you. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that you would do that work, that you would open our eyes, that we would see your truth more clearly, that, Lord, you would unclog our ears, that we might hear your voice speak more plainly to us. And Lord, we pray that indeed our hearts would be soft, that they would be malleable, that they would, that they would be ready to receive whatever you reveal to us and be changed. So Father, I pray over these next few moments that you would either speak through me or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory that we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, Well, I'm going to confess something as we begin this morning, something about myself. When it comes to shopping, I'm a bargain hunter. I am one of those bargain shoppers, and I'll tell you the extent of it. I I mean, I like to rummage through the bargain bins. I like to go through the bargain racks, but I also like to take it a step further. Even when I think I've found a bargain, even when I've gone through that rack and I'm certain that I have the best deal possible, 
Well, uh, until the advent of cell phones and the opportunity that I had to use an app in my pocket to compare things, I would drive crystal nuts because I would say, let's get in the car and let's go to this store or that store because I'd need to compare prices, whether it was clothing or shoes, whether it was food at the supermarket. I wanted to make sure that we were getting the best deal, the absolute best value for our dollar. Now, thankfully, now that gas prices have increased, I do now have a cell phone in my pocket and there is an app for that. In fact, there are a few apps, and so I can scan barcodes and I can start looking down to the ounce or down to the pound or down to the very bean whether, in fact, we're getting the best deal possible. So it's made it a little bit easier now. We don't have to travel everywhere. But the other confession I have to make this morning is not only do I love a good deal, but I also love to buy things in bulk especially if it can save me a few bucks. And so I'm relatively sure at a few times throughout the course of our life and marriage, we've probably had as much as like 25 gallons of ketchup in our house, which came in handy, I will say, during COVID because we had plenty of toilet paper. But I share that this morning because over the course of our marriage, Crystal and I will often go back, back and forth in a joking manner. She'll call me cheap because of my attitude, my perspective, my approach to shopping. But I'll get defensive then and I'll kind of pout and I'll say, I'm not cheap, I'm frugal. I'm doing this for the betterment of our family. And so we have kind of this running thing. But I share that with you this morning because I think at the heart of each and every one of us is a bargain hunter. I think each and every one of us, if we look deep into our souls and deep into our, our subconsciousness this morning, we'll say at the heart of each of us is a bargain hunter. In, the, in that, each and every one of us wants to get the absolute most that we can with the least amount of investment offered in return. I mean, I think that's why, I mean, if you drive around town and you visit any number of the buffets, now that COVID has allowed things to open back up, now that things have diminished and people can go out to these buffets, you'll see the parking lots jam-packed again because what? We want the best deal for our money. We want as many options and we want to pile as much food on our plates as we can with spending the least amount of money to do so. And I'll also contend, I think, that we're bargain hunters because why else would these massive corporations spend hundreds of thousands of dollars printing these coupon circulars that are inserted into papers, that are deposited in our mailboxes, that are inserted between our storm and regular doors on a weekly basis? But here's the thing that I've also learned as a bargain hunter. Sometimes being a bargain hunter backfires. Sometimes you'll get a second-rate product, uh, the type of product where it actually costs more because you have to fix it up or you have to do some repairs in order for the thing to work, and you would have probably been better off. I would have been better off if I had spent just a couple more dollars along the way. Now, sometimes it's not only a second-rate product, but sometimes you get a product that absolutely fails. I remember when we lived in Hanover and our children were little, it seemed like we were going through toothpaste left and right because they'd put either too much on the, uh, on the toothbrush or they'd miss, miss the toothbrush altogether and it'd end up in the sink. Well, I had this great idea. We were out and I saw this and it was, I swear it was like eight or ten tubes of toothpaste and it was like $3. And I'm thinking, this is phenomenal. We're going to be able to brush our teeth for an entire year or two and we're not going to have to invest. Well, we got the thing home. 
And right, what I learned very quickly was these weren't individual tubes that could be used, but you actually, there were, they, it was like really a four or five pack on either side, and you had to mix two of the tubes together to actually get toothpaste that worked. Well, as you can imagine with little kids, that was a disaster. We had this toothpaste that was being mixed, and it was all over countertops. It was clogging sinks. It was just everywhere. And you know what happened to that bargain buy? It ended up in the garbage, and we went out and bought some normal toothpaste. You see, bargain hunters, and I'll confess I'm one of them, they learn somewhere along the line that there are certain items and certain things that you just need to be aware of. We need to be cautious about. We need to take that extra opportunity to think before we buy. We need to take that extra moment of pause before we jump in and we lay hold of that thing. Well, in today's scripture passage, Jesus has really much the same thing to say about faith. He has much the same thing to say about what it means to be his disciple, his follower. It's as if he looks at these masses who are now coming out. They've seen the miracles. They've watched as he has multiplied the fish and the loaves. They've heard him teach. They've watched him heal on the Sabbath. They've seen all this incredible stuff that he's doing, and they're coming out in droves. And it's almost as if now he looks at them and says, buyer beware. Before you sign on to follow me, before you become someone who is dedicating their life to follow me, you need to count the cost of what it takes to follow me. And then he continues on. He, he, he not only talks to them about the cost, but he uses a story to illustrate that as he so often does. He says, suppose that one of you wants to build a tower. Now, by show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever built a tower? I'm not talking about a sand castle or a Lego tower. How many of you have ever bought? Okay. Kind of the same at 830. There were, there were no real big tower builders. And I looked through the, the yellow pages this week. I couldn't find a tower builder in York, so I didn't know who to ask. So I, I decided maybe, maybe there's another analogy that would hit more home for us this morning. Let's suppose, let's imagine that instead of building a tower, you were going to build the home of your dreams. Can you do that this morning? Do you think you can do that? So let's imagine this morning that you want to build the home of your dreams. You want to start out just by purchasing a plot of land and then doing all the construction. You want to you dig the, the ground. You want to lay the foundation. You want to do all of it from the ground up. Now, here's my question to you. If that's what you're intending to do, if you're going to build the home of your dreams, are you just going to go down to Lowe's and get a shopping cart and take that shopping cart out to your vehicle and then set off to that piece of property and start building? Or are other things going to happen first? Are you maybe going to try and find some plans to, to see what your ideal home might look like? Are, are you maybe going to consult a builder to see what might be involved? Are you going to talk to the permitting office to see what permits may need to be pulled? Are you going to make a list of things so that you don't just go down and buy three two-by-fours and think that's going to be enough? You see, we're all... If we're going to build the home of our dreams, we're going to make many, many decisions 
before we ever get to the point of going to Lowe's or Home Depot or whomever else we might go to get those supplies. And of course, we're not going to go and we're not just going to grab one cart full of stuff and think it's going to be enough. No, we're going to sit down, we're going to probably get some plans or we're going to draw up some plans or we're going to visit an architect who can do those things for us. And then more than likely, we're going to consult a builder or maybe at least a few subcontractors along the way to handle those aspects of the job that we can't do. And then we're going to decide at the very least what kind of square footage we want to have in our home. How big does this house need to be to meet our needs? Does it need to be one story or two story or three story? Do we need no garage or do we need an 18-car garage? What kind of heat source are we going to have for our home? Are we going to use geothermal heating? Are we going to use natural gas? Are we going to use oil? Are we going to heat it with wood? Do we need air conditioning? What type of flooring do we want to have? Do we want carpet or do we want hardwood? Do we want tile? Do we want different flooring in different parts of the house? Do we want to build the house with eco-friendly products or, or do we just want to build with whatever's cheapest out there? What kind of faucets do we want? Do we want the high-end ones? The ones where you kind of speak and they just spit out water? Do we want the refrigerator where you can talk to it and it's going to add to your list and let you know? Or it's going to text you when you're without milk? I mean, that's a pretty cool fridge. But do you need it? Is that what you want? Will that be ideal for your family? And then, of course, there's that big question, how much are you willing to spend for the home of your dreams? You see, there's a lot of decisions, and we've only touched on just a few this morning. But now these masses are coming out to follow Jesus. They're coming out because they've seen him heal people. They've watched as he's multiplied food to feed the hungry masses. They've heard him teach. They've watched him heal on the Sabbath. Immediately, they want to follow him. But Jesus encourages them to look at discipleship much the way that we'd look at building this house. Not as some rash decision, but as something that we weigh and consider because as much as picking the appropriate property, as much as building a good foundation is important, there's a lot more that needs to take place before we can move in. There's a lot more that has to happen before that house is finished and ready for us. There's a lot more money that needs to be spent. There's a lot more supplies that need to be procured. There's a lot of elbow grease that we're going to have to put in. And Jesus says, following me is like that. Praying a prayer, confessing sin, asking Jesus into our heart and life, beginning that relationship with him, that's like laying the foundation. It's important, it's necessary, it's a wonderful and tremendous start. There's a lot more that needs to happen as we walk in relationship with him. There's a lot more that's involved in our discipleship in this journey of faith. And in verses 26 and 27, Jesus becomes incredibly honest about the cost. He becomes incredibly honest with all the masses about what is going to be involved if they want to sign on to be his follower. Listen to what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
Now, I know what you're thinking because it's probably the same thing I thought as I was reading over this over the last few weeks. Hate is a pretty strong word. It's not what we expect to hear Jesus say, especially when it comes to our family, our loved ones. And this idea of hating not only our family, but ourselves, it just doesn't seem to sit right. Well, there is some good news. The biblical scholar Craig Bloomberg says that hating, as Jesus' audience would have understood it, was a vivid Semitic hyperbole. It was a vivid Semitic hyperbole that meant loving less. So what we have Jesus saying is we should have different degrees of love and commitment. Our love and commitment to Christ should be higher than our love and commitment to our family. Our love and commitment to Christ should be higher than our love and commitment to ourselves, to our wants, to our needs, to our desires. In other words, loving our family and loving ourselves at some point will probably need to take a back seat to our love of Christ, to our participation in the work of his kingdom. What that means is that Christ is no longer the co-pilot in life. He's not someone that we look to after we've made a decision and said, Jesus, can you bless this mess I've created? No, he's the captain. He's the one that's in charge. His is the voice that we seek to listen to, that we seek to learn from. He's the one that's in control and not us. And because of that, there are going to come times where we need to deny ourselves. There are going to come times where we have to say no to the things that we want Deeply, deeply in our hearts. There are going to be times where we have to say no to those passions that arise within us. And in the same way, there are going to be times where we may have to say no to our family, to those things that they want for us, to those desires that they have for us, to those passions maybe that they've instilled within us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. That's not the only requirement. He goes on to talk about taking up our cross and following him. And again, I think for us, that in some ways that's easy because we think about a cross around our neck or maybe on the back of, or the bumper of our car or maybe a picture that's hanging in our homes. For us, it's a pretty easy thing to look at. Maybe even something that we see a great deal of beauty in. But think about those to whom Jesus is talking. Think about the masses that are now following him. They weren't wearing crosses around their necks. They didn't have crosses on the back of their animals. No, when they thought of a cross, they thought of an implement of suffering, an implement of punishment, an implement who oftentimes the cross member was attached to a criminal as they were walking the streets on their way to death, on the way to being executed for their crimes. So when they heard this, they were probably thinking, to follow Jesus may mean literally I'm going to have to lay down my life. I may have to die for Christ and for the cause of his kingdom. But again, Bloomberg suggests this is probably a Semitic hyperbole. And he suggests Christ might be using this image, this image of the cross, this image of bearing a cross to again illustrate the lengths to which we're going to have to go to die to our passions, to die to our own wants, to die to our own personal desires. But the thing is, there are those in our world right now who are being called to give their lives for the cause of Christ. There are many in our world who, because of where they live, where they were born, where they're living at this moment, 
for them to follow Christ could involve them giving up their lives. And there are those throughout history who have had to do just that as they followed Christ. They've been martyred for their faith. Now thankfully for many of us, that probably won't happen. But still, it's worth asking, how much are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to give up? How much are we willing to sacrifice our passions, our desires, our wants, the things that we strive after in this life, how much are we willing to say no to those things so that we can say yes to Christ and to His kingdom? But here's the thing. I'm convinced of it. We're bargain people. We like lots of food for a little bit of money. We like brand name clothing for pennies on the dollar. We'd love to have the home of our dream without having to put a bunch of money down. But what Christ is talking about here is costly. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the price? Is it worth the sacrifice? Now, no doubt there are some incredible rewards as we walk with Christ. Being a follower of Christ comes with the hope of heaven. Amen? That's a great, great promise. Something very much to look forward to. But there's also the cost that along the way as we follow Christ, we might lose friends. There might be family members who don't understand us. We might be ridiculed for our faith. Being a follower of Christ comes with the freedom of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. Amen? That's a good thing. A wonderful benefit. But at the same time, knowing that God loves me, that He's forgiven my sins, I can look around at the world and know that there are many others who aren't walking with that freedom, who aren't walking with that peace. I don't know about you, but my heart breaks for those people. You see, while I have a joy, while there's peace that comes with that for me, there's also a brokenness and a burden I think that we bear as we, we see those who are far from Christ. So it might mean that we have to sacrifice our comfort. We might have to step outside of our comfort zones so that we can go and tell others about Christ. We might be put in uncomfortable situations. We might have people look at us strangely. We have this incredible opportunity and responsibility to share the Word of God. There are some incredible rewards, but friends, I ask again, is it worth the cost? Well, Jesus, in a number of his parables, talks about how valuable the kingdom of is, the kingdom of heaven is. In one parable, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's been hidden out in a field. And this treasure that's been hidden in a field, a man stumbles upon it. And realizing, having the opportunity to look upon this treasure, having the opportunity to see it and recognize its incredible value, this man goes out and he hides it again. He wants to make sure no one else is going to find it. And then he goes home. He sells everything that he owns. And then he goes out and buys that field. That parable from Matthew chapter 13 is clear. This man tasted and he saw, he experienced the incredible value of the kingdom. And it was so much so that he was willing to get rid of everything else just to lay hold of it, just to possess it. And 
another one of his earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like this pearl of great price. This pearl of incredible value. It's a beautiful pearl. It's one that catches everyone's attention. But there's a merchant who stumbles upon it one day. And when this merchant stumbles upon it, when he sees its beauty, when he sees the incredible value that's there, he realizes that he has to possess it. So this guy runs home, and guess what? He gets rid of everything he owns. He divests himself of all his possessions, and he runs off and he buys it before anyone else can. The kingdom of heaven is like this pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is like this treasure that's found out in a field. Once we taste it, once we see it, once we experience it, we realize the incredible value. But the question is, will we be like these two individuals? Will we be so captivated by the beauty of God's kingdom? Will we be so captivated by God's grace and what he's doing in our lives that we will give up everything if called upon to do so so that we can lay hold of it? Are we willing to sacrifice everything so that we may lay hold of that kingdom? Yes, there is a cost. But the life that Jesus offers, this walk with him, the promise of eternal life, there's nothing else that we can compare it to. So will we give up everything so that we can hold on to it? Will we sacrifice everything so that we can inherit it and experience the joy of the kingdom? Will we give all? Will we take up our cross? And will we follow him? Amen.